Last week, I preached about the haves and the have-nots. If you were not here, you haven't heard that sermon, you want to go back and listen to that. It's going to shed some light on this sermon. And the, last week, I preached the consequences of, of having Jesus having Jesus. Today, we're going to press harder into the consequences of not having Jesus. It was that lyrical poet, that blues king, B.B. King, blues musician who died in 2015 that made this statement. I don't know what happens after this life. I haven't had my mother or anybody else come back and tell me. I think hell is hell on earth. And heaven to me is a beautiful lady in enjoyment with her. Y'all act like y'all didn't hear that statement. Let me run that back. That kind of struck a chord with me. Heaven to me is a beautiful lady in enjoyment with her. But if there is a hereafter, I wish I could go there. Do you ever wonder what the afterlife is like? Do you ever wish someone could come back and tell you? What is heaven like? What is hell like? Is there even a hell? B.B. King never been to hell when he made that statement, and I'm not here to judge where he is. And personally, I don't know too many people who have been to hell and back. In fact, I don't know anyone. Maybe you do. But Jesus does tell a story of a man who did go to hell, and according to him, it's not a place you want to go. We need a glimpse of this experience in our text today. I want to preach from this thought. Take my word for it. Let me run that again. Take my word for it. Luke 16, 19 to 21 reads, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The camera fades in on a man living luxuriously in his gated community. He can easily buy things on two chains so-called expensive. We're told only three things about this man. He's dressed in purple and fine linen. He should have been pink, but that's all right. He feasts, and he does this daily. It's apparent that he spares no expense on his lifestyle. Catch the picture, friends. He drapes himself in purple garment, often reserved for royalty. He wears it around him to crown his radiance. When you hear purple mentioned in the Bible, think royalty. With tiaras made with Tiffany diamonds. I mean, he came through dripping, drip, drip. He's dripping, y'all. Y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. The few that laugh, I appreciate y'all honesty. His undergarments are made from fine linen. Friends, there's no cotton hanes here. No, he has the good underwear. Everything is unnecessarily the best for him. He has millions of 
rappers. He's blue check certified on the Bird, Graham, and TikTok. He's the dude. He's at the top of the list of fashion. He has Yeezys. He has dinner parties every day. I'm trying to bring home to y'all. He owns the country club, the cigar bar, and the winery. He's large, and he's in charge. He's enjoying his money and prestige that accompanies him his riches. And the entirety of the parable, the only character, though, with a name is this man, Lazarus. Normally, Jesus would say there once was a farmer in a widow or a rich young man, but today, Edgar has his name is Lazarus which means the one that God helps. Can you hear the irony in that? Although we get to know Lazarus, we get to know Lazarus, it's harder to see the hand of God in his life. Can we pause for a minute? Can we relate to one another? And can we relate to Lazarus in this moment? Have you ever been dependent on God, but felt as if God never came through? Have you ever been in situations and circumstances you called on the name of God and your prayers were not answered expeditiously. Can anybody relate to Lazarus? Man, isn't your heart in those moments? Isn't your faith tested in those moments? Lazarus, Jesus says, is laid at the gate. If this were a movie today, the director would show a quick flashback to when a few men lifted the man in his mat and placed him in the shadow of the gate. And we viewers would quickly understand that the poor man is Looking at him physically, we can't keep from gawking at the sores that covers his arms in immovable legs. He looks like Deadpool without the costume. Luke says the rich man was covered in luxurious fabrics, but Lazarus wears for his garments sores on his skin. The rich man's feast. Lazarus' hands doesn't reach for the food on the table. No, it doesn't. Instead, his hand is poised upward from his mat, reaching out to those entering the rich man's house, asking for money and food from those who are leaving. He is begging at Chance the Rapper and Cardi B and T.I. and Chris Stapleton and Bill Gates all pass by him. Daily, the rich man invites his dinner guests to enjoy the bounties of his fields. And daily Lazarus, oh poor Lazarus, is joined by dogs. Uninvited come and licks his sores. Poor, hungry, crippled Lazarus can do nothing about it. Friends, he is disgusting. He is repulsive. He is unclean. And he is a beggar. And this goes on. Until Lazarus dies. What a hard life. What a, what a hard and horrible life to live. And the story goes on. The time died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. The, man, the, the, uh, the men were very different in life. And here we find they are very different in death. Lazarus dies first. There was no mention of a burial for Lazarus, which Jewish tradition is to bury the body. But instead, Lazarus is ushered away from this present reality into another realm at the escort of angels. Falls there, church. Angels come and get you when you die if you belong to God. 
That's a whole nother sermon. I'm like, how am I going to get to where I need to be? God got you covered. You just need to die. No, I'm just messing around. But even more than that, Lazarus is ushered into paradise, to the heavenly banquet, to the place of Abraham's side. Catch the story, church. When Lazarus enjoys all the privileges of the guest of honor, a life of pain and hardship now for Lazarus has been reversed in death for a life of ultimate honor and comfort. He is now with the elite. Life on earth continued after Lazarus had died until the rich man died and was buried. What a funeral that must have been. The fans who visited his, his, his parties must have shown up in droves. He was laid in the ground in the most expensive coffin. Can you imagine them going to look for his coffin? They wanted the most expensive. He was expensive in life. Of course, he was a professional mourner. Where you have professional mourners. Ain't that something? People that. was showy in life. He must have been showy in death. Life had taught him all, life had taught him that all he needed to do to survive was enough money and enough food and he would be fine. If I need that mic, you can bring it to me. Yet here was his reality. Filthy rich one day and dead the next day. Living in torment in hell. Do you remember the words of Jesus? He spoke earlier in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 25. If you don't, let me recall it to your attention. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because the Son of Man rejoices in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and you will weep. What Jesus predicted in, in his sermon on the mountain, he illustrates here with the rich in Lazarus. Different in life, and they are different in death. We have to realize this. It was not Lazarus' poverty that gained him interest into heaven, let me be clear. Likewise, it wasn't the rich man money that condemned him into hell. I need to be clear. Your economic status is not what gets you into heaven, whether you're rich or poor. Being rich is not a bad thing. We realize this because Abraham is hosting the banquet. With Lazarus is the guest of honor. Y'all remember Abraham. Abraham was one of the wealthiest dudes in the Bible. He had bread on top of bread. Abraham was good. So we know that the rich man is not there because he's rich. If that was true, then so would Abraham. What separated them? As Jesus is going to show us, it was their faith that separated them. Remember last week, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. 
this story is one big illustration of last week's sermon. It gives you a window into the afterlife of the spiritual haves and the have-nots. An interesting thing happens to the rich man as he lifts his eyes to see Abraham far off in the beggar. Lazarus at his side, he begins to pray. Luke 16, we pick up in verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, in your lifetime you receive your good things, while Lazarus received his bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides, all this between us and you, our great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from, from there to us. He answered then, I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Come on, preacher, preach to us. Uh, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. The realization finally hits the rich man that life on earth is over and his current residence isn't a cushy as previous address. His plea is a cry steaming from a heritage that thought that they were guaranteed entrance into paradise because of their genealogy. We got to go back into the culture. We got to understand the biblical context if we're going to understand what this man is conveying to Abraham. Jesus' primary audience hearing his story is the Jews. And Abraham is the patriarch of God's chosen people. It was thought that if anyone should be reclining at the heavenly banquet, it would be the wealthy, predominant Jews. And yet, still, somehow, the rich man is dead, and his soul isn't in heaven continuing his blessed life. It's really hell, and his place has been exchanged with Lazarus. In the midst of the greater lesson, Jesus teaches us three basic lessons about hell in this message. Here it is. Here's the first one. Hell is real. I know that's hard, and I know that doesn't land too comfortable with most folks. But hell is real. Hell is a real place. I was watching, y'all don't judge me. Don't judge me, Rick. But I pay for Netflix for a reason, Chris. I was watching Rhythm and Flow, a Netflix series starring Cardi B, Chance the Rapper, and T.I. Y'all, I watch this because I want sermon illustration, Bobby. That's all. It ain't like I be enjoying it or nothing. You know what I'm saying? Just doing my homework. You feel me? You feel me? Uh, T.I., as they search for the next hip-hop star. What is crazy about this show is all these people are trying to make it make it to fame. They are clawing to make it to the top. Now, being famous in itself is not evil, but it, is at it at least had me thinking, what does it truly mean to make it in the reality of the afterlife? Many people think to make it is to be on TV, to have lots of money, have people following you around, get that blue check on social media, 
and have everybody shouting your name. But Jesus tells us this story to help us have the right perspective on life. Jesus, in all of his teachings and his parables, tells stories about that which is common to every man and woman's life, showing us that life after death is to be expected. His teachings are consistently about the kingdom of God and eternal life. Paul in the New Testament develops this theology more fully and recognizes that this life is but a prelude of things to come. Peter writes that Christians are like aliens to the world because we really belong to the kingdom of God in heaven, amen, somebody. John is given a revelation of things to come when Jesus will judge the works of man and those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will experience blessing and riches in the presence of God's heaven. And those who reject Jesus on earth will experience eternal separation from God forever. It's a tragedy. Friends, hell is real. It is filled with real people, with real souls. And yet too many times we treat heaven and hell as if they're not real. Many choose to ignore the idea of hell and just convince themselves at the end of life, all of us just cease to exist with no purpose or point at all. Or we think hell is a party place where we'll be popping mollies and ordering DoorDash. This is what Hollywood sells to us. But hell sends an Uber XL past the church every week, and it is full. So don't think just because you showed up in the building that you're not going to hell. To claim hell as a real place, I know, even as I was writing this sermon, that to preach about hell is to become unpopular. Not that unpopular anyways. Okay, amen, somebody. Somebody knows. But I realize that our society has grown less tolerant of the teaching on hell. Recently, much debate has been sparked over the doctrine of hell, causing many people, even pastors, to conclude that hell is not real. Or if it is real, no loving God will damn people to it. We live in an age of create your own truth and cater to people's feelings. And one look at the gram and TikTok, and you'll see the backlash given to those who hold on to this doctrine. Now, if I had time, I'll park here parenthetically and talk about how the church has misused this doctrine. But I don't have time to do all of that. You just need to know that it's real. And at some point, you must desire to be loving more than being liked. Let me say it again. At some point in your sanctified life, You're going to have to be okay with not being like, but still be loving. And even if they call it not love, you give them the truth because the truth will set them free. Friends, this doctrine, I need to be clear because when you get the backlash, I don't want you saying, Pastor, you didn't tell me that my friend count on social media was going to go down. This doctrine will not get you many followers. It will not get you the thumbs up and it will not get you the heart button. But in the life to come, many will at least appreciate your boldness, and others will not be able to say you didn't warn them. The rich man taught us that being liked in this life doesn't mean anything if you're not in the love of God, in the mercy of God. Who cares who likes you? 
what you gonna get before God and say, God, I know you seen the thumbs up on my, on my social. God, you ain't seen my followers. Hold on, somebody give me not an iPhone but an Android somewhere up in here. Let me show you. Cause we know ain't no iPhones by heaven, right? So, so we know that already, cause it got the bit off fruit. So we know that, right? We know that. That's a no brainer. Somebody give me an Android up in here somewhere. God, you don't see this. You don't see these the, the, these followers. And God's going to say, I don't care how many followers you got. If you didn't follow my son, it doesn't matter what you have. It's not about who's following you. It's about who you're following. Are you following Jesus? People who deny the existence of heaven and hell forget the character of God and the wickedness of sin. God is holy, friends. Don't get it twisted. Meaning he is without sin. Meaning he is just, meaning he judges fairly. God loves us is a holy love, not some cheap sentiment. Yet the penalty of sin is death. So this means that God would have to be unjust to prevent sinners from entering hell, which is what we deserve. However, God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Romans 3 tells us that by sending Christ to die in our place, our substitutionary atonement, our propitiation, God remains just because Christ bore the brunt of the wrath, the brunt of, the wrath of God for sin. But also that God could be the justifier of many. For who? For those who believe in the Son of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Notice that I slowed down. I didn't want you to miss that part. That's important. It's imperative that you get that. That God is the justifier of many who are those who believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, for their salvation will be saved. Doesn't matter if you're black. Doesn't matter if you're white. Doesn't matter if you're Latino. Doesn't matter what country you're from. Doesn't matter economic status. Doesn't matter clothing. Doesn't matter your network or your net worth. None of that matters. Then what it comes down to is are you in Jesus or are you not in Jesus? C.S. Lewis was told about a gravestone in Scripture that read, Here lies an atheist all dressed up and no place to go. Lewis quietly replied, I bet he wished that were so. The next thing we learn from this story is not only is hell real, but hell is torment. Not only is hell real, hell is torment. Four times in this passage, the word torment or anguish is used to describe the condition of the rich man. What does that torment look like? It is flames. Is it flames? Maybe. Is it crushing? I don't know. Here's what I do know. Hell is a place of torment, and this torment is conscious. Your conscience, and it's unquenchable, and it's lonely. It's clear that Lazarus knows he's in paradise. Watch it now. And the rich man knows he's in hell. They're not unaware of where they are. We are conscience in heaven just like we are conscience in hell, which means the torment of hell is conscience. Some have made claims that after death, the soul is separated from the body and it falls into a deep sleep. Some of y'all could use some of that sleep, but then what's going to happen? It's appropriately, they call it soul sleep. That's what they call it, y'all. I got to read up on this stuff, man. 
that's out there. The story shows us that the torment of the rich man experiences is making a profound effect on him, and he is conscious, consciously in anguish. People think like B.B. King, hell is on earth. We have no idea. It is unquenchable. He says this, send me water. Even my tongue is on fire. Help. No relief ever. Probably more widely accepted today than the idea of soul sleep is the idea of annihilation. Annihilation could go two ways. Either the soul just ceased to exist or that it actually experiences hell for an instant when it hits the flames, but then it is consumed and it is no more. It's out there. The problem with this idea is that there is no end to the anguish in hell. There is no escape. Let me take you over to Revelation chapter 14. It says of the punishment in hell of those who follow the Antichrist is that the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. Not stopping, not even for a minute. It's lonely. There's no mention of anyone else around this man in hell while Lazarus is hanging out with Abraham and the many gathered at the banquet table. Uh, too many people live as this hell is going to be a fine and, and a party that will never stop. And, and hell is this place uh, 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 where all the cool people are going to go. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but hell is a place of desertion, separation, and isolation. You are not popping mollies, and you're not enjoying endless sex. Let me let that sit for a minute. That's it, Victor. Not only is hell real, not only is hell torment, but hell is final. Abraham explains it best. Look in Luke 16, 25. But Abraham replied, son, remember, y'all got to see this. Son, remember that in your life, you receive your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. There is no escape. Hell is final. There is truly one life for you to live, and at death, the decision you made and the, and the people or things you trusted is sealed your life shut. The rich man could not escape the finality of hell. His own character chose the good things of earth and decided to leave God out of his life when he was alive. And if you leave God out of your life while you're alive, don't expect God to be in your life when you're dead. God expected him to trust in him while he was living. And now in his death, he could no longer change his character nor his destiny. There was no second chances. Not only could he do nothing about his own state? But his heart also began to break for his family members. Watch it, church. Verse 27. He answered, I can't do anything about me. If I, if I can't do anything to get myself out of this jam, if I can't do anything to drop these charges, if, if I don't have enough bond money, I know I had money up there, but if I'm too broke to, to help myself down here, maybe, maybe, perhaps God 
Maybe I can go warn some folks. Maybe I can now become an evangelist. Maybe, maybe now I can go preach the gospel. Maybe, maybe, but here it is. Watch it. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them that they will not also come so that they may also not come to this place of torment. All of a sudden, the exclusive well-to-do, sought-after billionaire who can't be helped by anyone turns into a concerned, relational person in revealing this information that he has five brothers. The man is condemning himself again as a Scrooge. He lived in the lap of luxury and wouldn't share with Lazarus, who was his neighbor at the gate. And now we find out that his father is still supporting his brothers, even after all this time. Not only was he stingy with Lazarus, but he was also inhospitable to his own brothers. Yet no matter, his heart is once for all in the right place, is it not? From beyond the grave, if my brothers could hear what I have to say about life now, they would take my word for it. But if that isn't an option, can you send Lazarus? Can you send anyone? Just keep them away from here. And in ancient Jewish stories from this time period, the idea of people coming to others from behind the grave were not uncommon. This is not, this may sound uncommon to us in a dead person, what do you mean? But in, but in Jewish stories, this is the kind of things that they would hear over and over. It was rather acceptable in the same way as a Christmas carol inspires us today. But notice how Jesus carries on with his thought of someone coming back from the dead to warn the living about the agony of hell. Verse 29, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. Mm, that's heavy, Jesus. Isn't that mean, Jesus? You can't send nobody back to, to, to let them know that this is not a place that they need to come. Jesus shuts the thought down. As if to say, those who are awaiting judgment in Hades have a concern for the loss, but they are unable to do anything about it. Friends, you better preach the gospel while you got breath in your lungs. Death and hell are final. And refusing to allow Lazarus to go beyond the grave to those who, still, who are still alive, Jesus cites Moses and the prophets as if they were still speaking. Moses and the prophets... But this time, Moses and the prophets are dead. What is he talking about? It's a code name for the Old Testament. Jews would read the Old Testament every Sunday in the synagogues, and his brothers would have heard the scriptures read there. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Watch it now. To Jesus, hearing is key to both heaven and hell. Watch it now. Here it is, he that has an ear, let him hear. The last two verses of this tragic story pushes this idea even further. Look at what the rich man reply is. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. That's a novel idea. How familiar is this refrain? Give them an experience. Don't give them the Bible. 
Nobody can trust in the Bible. But let them experience firsthand witness to the horrors that I have seen. How quickly he rejected the Bible as any sort of means of authority. How the rich man wanted a sign to show his brothers. How often do we accept other people's opinion more factual than what is written in the Bible? The rich man assumed that if his brothers just had a sign, ah, they would indeed repent from their sins. Oh, we feel the same often. If people see miracles again, if people see healing again, if, yeah, 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 yeah. If people see the blind healed again, if people see the lame walk again, perhaps they'll have more faith in the scriptures that we read. In the scriptures that we teach, may I remind you, Jesus did more miracles than all of us, and yet they killed him. Yes, go read the story of Lazarus. They were mad because Jesus was getting all the clout, and they were still running around with doubt, and they wanted him out. Y'all should see the story. Yes, they did. They wanted him dead because mankind's issue is not that you need to see a miracle, but instead you need the miracle-working Jesus to work a miracle inside of your dead soul and to bring you to life so that you can hear the word of God. God in belief. Faith comes by hearing, but you need God to do something miraculous in you. And when the word goes forth, there's life in the word. The word is able to heal. The word is able to set free. I wish I had some people in the room that you got saved under the preaching and the authority of the word of God. I wish I had some people that believe that the word of God is still living, it's still active, it's still setting folks free. You ought to celebrate God. If you got 66 books in your living room. Forget the living room. You ought to celebrate if you got it down in your heart. Living water is what he calls it. Oh, we don't need to see miracles. We need the miracle-working Jesus to work a miracle in us. Now, I'm not against miracles. I think God uses miracles. Mainly, he was using miracles to certify those who were giving the message. That's my prophet. That's a my apostle. This is not a sermon about miracles. Let me keep going. I don't want to mess with people's theology too much. Because then they'll be upset with me. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That's heavy. Isn't that heavy? My word is more powerful than somebody coming back to the dead and testifying. Man, that's powerful. I don't know if you felt it the way I just felt it. But that my word holds more weight than somebody coming back from the pits of hell in actual flames testifying. That's how powerful my word is. And today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your heart. In the parable, Jesus' final statements are often the most important. In the parable, abrupt ending and gives us clue that Jesus' main point in teaching the story is illustrated at the end. It's not mainly about hell. That's not what it's mainly about. Those who hear Moses and the prophets, those who hear the word of God and obey it by faith have passed from death 
to life. Those who understand God's message of hope and love and freedom from sin through the work of Christ on our behalf are no longer destined to eternity apart from God, but instead will be honored at his banquet table in paradise. See, if you are like me, you are asking the question, how do I go on the side of Lazarus and not on the side of the rich man? It's easy, by faith in Jesus. You become a spiritual half by trusting in Jesus. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message heard through the word about Christ. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. Play it back again, Pastor. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. Play it back again, Pastor. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. The seed of Jesse, the, the, the righteous branch of God, only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. The one who turns water into wine. Play it back, Pastor. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. The one who walked on water. Play it back, Pastor. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. The one who raises the dead. Play it back, Pastor. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. You got a dilemma. You don't know where you're going. Play it back, Pastor. Only faith in Jesus can save us from eternal suffering. And faith in Jesus come by hearing the word of God. And this is why our jobs as pastors are so important. We're glad that God took residence up in you, but we're going to keep preaching until God becomes the president in you, until he oversees all of your life and all of your decisions, until you know that you know that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven. Oh, the blood never loses its power. He's able... This is why your preacher better be preaching Jesus. And if he ain't preaching Jesus, tell him to go sit down somewhere until he got something worth preaching. Because we are all headed to the afterlife. Yeah, friends, I understand that this job God has given me is not a play job. This is not game. This is not a game, friends. I realize that the job that God has given me is to care for your souls because I know that some of us may not make it into tomorrow, but I want to know this much. If you don't make it in tomorrow, you know the one that holds tomorrow, the one who holds your soul. That's what I want to be sure of. And I hope you can say, at the very least, with all of my imperfections, Pastor, on the other side, when we meet face to face, I hope you're able to say, Pastor, thank you for preaching the word. I uh, thank you for not making Bethel Gary a place all about you. Now, I don't do that perfectly. Thank God for the grace on my own life. Because pastors, y'all got to believe this, because I know y'all love y'all TPN, and I know that we live in a society where we have plenty of access to plenty of preachers. I know that we live in a time where we got access to much theology. You want a theology that agree with you, I promise you that you can find it. Because pastor, you need to know this, pastors will lie to you to be liked by you. Yes, they will. Pray that that would not be the case for me. 
See, 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 you need pastors with smoke detectors. Or they should fail your inspection. You see, when I was younger, y'all don't judge me. Yeah, uh, we wasn't like the rich man, y'all. We, uh, yeah, we had Section 8, y'all. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Now we real family now because I told y'all all my business. Yeah, see, see, we grew up in Section 8. I know some of y'all don't know about that because y'all, you know, I ain't judging you, but you know, it is what it is. But we grew up in Section 8. And when you grew up in Section 8, they send an inspector out. Yes, they do. And you got you to gotta pass the test in order for the landlord to get his rent or even for you to move in. And the inspector would come every now and again. He didn't just come one, he'd come every now and again. The cleanest the house ever been when the inspector was on the way. Even me, seven years old, got a screwdriver in my hand. Didn't help me none. Everybody's fixing everything around the house. The inspector is on the way. In order to pass the inspection, one of the things you had to have is you had to have smoke detectors. If you didn't have smoke detectors, you didn't pass the inspection. You see, the smoke detectors didn't guarantee or could they make you listen to them. But they did assure if you did get caught in the fire, it wasn't because you were not warned. They were there even when you were asleep to wake you up, friends. I'm just God's smoke detector. I'm here to warn you, but I can't guarantee that you won't be caught by the fire. But, friends, when the alarm goes off, you better wake up and you better listen. Rich man didn't listen, y'all. Smoke detectors went off. You know how we do. We get used to them, right? You know, you just get used to hearing stuff sometimes. So you don't even go check to see if there's a fire after a while. What do you do? You go in there, you press that little button. Better yet, you take that battery out of there. Sick of this. Uh-huh. I ain't going to be tolerating this. You know how many people have walked out of churches and left preachers behind because they wouldn't give them what their itching ears want to hear? Friends, I'm telling you, they may take the battery out of me, but at least I told you the truth. So we go back to the story. Will, what was it that distinguished the two men? They were different on all accounts. The rich man has seemingly everything, yet lacked faith in the word of God, which makes known to all men the path of salvation. Lazarus had nothing, no food, no fancy clothes, no home, no health, and yet he had faith in God for his salvation And the irony is, that was everything. Jesus is schooling his disciples and the Pharisees not on heaven and hell, but on faith. And it's so clearly defined in Jesus' parable that saving faith comes as a result of hearing and obeying God's word. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. But by God's grace, you are still alive today. By God's grace, you are still alive today. By God's grace, you are still alive today. Worship team is coming back at this time. I'm going to ask Will to come forward as well. The life that you live have many important choices and consequences. But it's not too late. No, friends, it's not too late. Your character is not yet sealed. 
Your destination has not yet been determined. To the one who has yet ears to hear, let him hear the word of God and come to Jesus. No striving after prestige will help you. No matter the history of your family, it will not help you. You are without excuse after being here today. To trust Jesus spells salvation. To not have Jesus spells judgment. Hold on to the works of Jesus. Your life and experience his forgiveness of sins. Pay attention to the voice of the rich man. Begging that all would know the torment of hell. Grab firm the grace of God which has been extended to you even on today. Don't be like the brother who ignored God's word. Try Jesus. Not hell. Take my word for it.